This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far ought to have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it! You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode three of The Roundtable presented by The Athletic. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy McCullough and every week we have a guest Uh, Today's guest is Mark Carrig, who uh, works for The Athletic in an undisclosed capacity. He is here, and uh, the reason I say that is because I just, I want to sit back and let Andy uh, give Mark crap because it's the most entertaining thing that I listen to all week. What's going on, guys? Grant, you used such an interesting verb in introducing Mark. You said works, and I'm not sure what Mark has done since 2019. Like, I know at some point... He wrote a story about the Brewers logo, and then, like, I haven't heard from him. I don't know where he lives. I don't know what he does. I'm not sure what his responsibilities are. You know, we used to have a podcast. It just went away. I, I haven't seen him in person in years. You know, we're on Zoom, and I'm looking. I, I, he's wearing a Warriors hat, so maybe have we slipped into it? Like, we gone through the slipstream of time, and is this 2016? Well, it's really good to join you boys here on Beyond the Scrum. Um, you know, we are beyond beyond. Yeah, we're way beyond. I applied actually here to be Clayton Kershaw hagiographer, but it turns out that McCullough already <laughs> had that job. So you know, like I had to settle for uh, deputy managing editor instead. So I'm I'm a pizza eater essentially. That's what I am. That's a newsroom term for those who don't know. Um, you're either a writer or an election night pizza eater. And so that's what I've become, an election night pizza eater. I'm in the mood for pizza because, you know, Brisby was talking about roundtable earlier. It's, it's all messed up. Anyway, good to be here. <laughs> uh, so you can't see this uh, for the, the podcast listeners, but we're on Zoom and I'm like clapping my hands as these guys go at it because it is funny as heck. All right, but we're going to talk about baseball. We're not just going to throw jabs at each other all hour. We are going to start with talking about Clayton Kershaw and the decision to pull him with 80 pitches when he's going for not a no-hitter. He's going for a perfect game. And I don't remember how many there are in baseball history, but there's like 21 or something ridiculous, 22, 23. And 80 pitches, seven innings. You think maybe he could finish a perfect game in 105, 110 maybe? I would like to hear what you guys think about pulling a pitcher like that. Is that just too much? Is that just very 2022? What's up? Well, they had a lockout, Grant. Um, <laughs> so there oh. wasn't a, so there wasn't a spring training. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Making notes. Take this. Take this down. Okay. No, I mean, like I, uh, yeah, I think. I mean, some of the the particulars kind of have been hashed over in the in the previous week. I am just one of the things that stuck out to me about the Kershaw situation was the rush from people within our industry to 
go on the record during the game as saying they thought he should finish the game. And it struck me like, yeah, like everyone else watching it, I'm like, wow, that'd be kind of, that'd be pretty cool if he went for it. But also, you know, like I covered the Dodgers as a writer for three years. I've been around the team for, you know, half a decade and I know how they operate. I also knew the particulars of the fact there wasn't a spring training and that Kershaw had only, you know, stretched out to 75 pitches. And I was texting with, you know, a bunch of people, but a, you know, former teammate of his who said like, what do you think they do? You know, if he's at 90 pitches after the eighth. And I was like, on what planet is he ever going out for the eighth? And this was in like the fifth <laughs> inning. It's just, it was just never going to happen, you know, based on the, the particulars. His arm was not built up to complete a game, even a perfect one. And what I don't understand is like when in this business we determined that our job was to, you know, basically like stoke up like fan unrest about a decision when we don't even have the particulars. And like, so everyone's like, oh, they need to let him finish. They cannot take him out of this game. It would be ridiculous if he does not give him the chance to finish this. He's Clayton Kershaw. Oh, um, after the game, he told Dave Roberts he could only throw 85 pitches after the sixth inning, and he was perfectly fine coming out. Anyway, so what else is going on? And it's just like, our job is to write about what happened, not tell fans what we think should happen in the way that would most excite them. That's what I think, at least. I think Mark and I sort of disagreed about this. Mark had a more populist take, which I don't totally disagree with. I think we're just kind of on the... I don't know. We're looking a little bit differently. I'd, I'd be curious if you could unwind First that. of all, I don't know Kershaw as well as you do, right? Because you've been his hagiographer for, what, seven, eight years? So, like, I don't <laughs> know the character as well. But What did David Wright shoot yesterday on the golf course when you texted him? What, 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 what did he shoot? <laughs> when I'm carrying his bag, I don't keep the score. Anyway. what Was, was he asking you oh for the God. seven or the nine? Listen to this Which guy. one was he favoring Listen yesterday? Listen to this guy. Anyway. It's shocking that when they shot, showed Kershaw getting hugs in the dugout, you weren't there with the ice pack waiting for him. All right. So, like, let's zip it about David Wright. But, like, I, I think, you know, Andy and I looked at it. And we were texting that day, too, right? Like, as it was going on, I turned my attention on the media reaction, too, but in a different way. My pet peeve when people cover a team and everything that their front office does is the best thing ever. And everyone's a moron. And it's just like, I hate that. Because while I agree, Andy, that it's not our job to stoke people, like to, to, to goad them, I also think that, hey, this is still entertainment. And like, I'm sick of people saying, like, it's stupid to think that, oh, well, it was never going to happen. Well, you know what? It's freaking entertainment. So, yes, I understand that there was a lockout. Yes, I understand it wasn't built up. And by the way, look, the way he reacted, I think, during the game, like to do the hugs, like, I mean, this is a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. He knows people are watching for his reaction. They know they're listening for his reaction after the game. We know what he said. He went out there and did the good soldier thing. It helps that it was also true, right? Like he was only built up to a certain point. And all, but like, you know, he could have also played that differently. My point is, I'm sick of hearing people like it, it's bad to be disappointed that it didn't happen, that he didn't go for it. We all know the reasons, and it's 2022. This is over with. Yeah, it's okay to be bummed about the fact he didn't go out there and get it. I think that stops short of, what a tragedy this is. The game's ruined. I think that's crazy, all right? Like, given all the context, that's crazy. However, come on, man. I was watching that for the last, like, three or four innings. I want to see him go out there. Of course I want to see him go out there. It's entertaining to see someone like him chase history. Wait, did they have a, they had a TV uh, in between the ninth and the 10th hole with you and David? 
Was that where you guys were watching, or did you? Was this? No, did no, you we were. We were already round, having lunch in the clubhouse, so that it, it worked out really well schedule wise. <laughs> um, but no, like I mean, just from a straight entertainment standpoint, like it's a bummer, right? You know, I thought about this. I think it was John Means with the, the Orioles a couple of years ago. Like he gets pulled early in a game when he's throwing a no hitter, and I remember at the time thinking, like, okay, you know, this is a guy that. He's been a nice story, but like this is not Clayton Kershaw, right? This could be the one thing that he does in baseball that he could be remembered for. And they pull him from the game. This is Brandon Hyde. It must have been his first year or something. Like, you know, and I get it, right? Like, I get it. Well, John Means on a 60 day DL now. No, no, he threw like, a no, no hitter last year. I'm thinking about the wrong guy. Yeah, that's a mistake on my part. Like, there's another Oriole pitcher early. I get what you're saying. I mean, I talked to Ross Stripling. I talked to Ross Stripling the day of, right? When Kershaw came out right the blue jays happened to be in town so i went into the blue jays club out to talk to ross stripling ross stripling famously in his debut start through seven uh no hit innings against the giants they were up one nothing they took him out after it was like dave roberts was like fifth game managing um it was stripling's debut he came out after seven the uh the dodgers ended up losing the game i believe it was uh the legend chris hatcher blew it in the eighth you know it was, it was a huge deal right and it was like there was this idea of like ross stripling will never have a chance probably never have a chance to do this again and i was talking to him about it and he said like i asked him like do you still think about that And he goes only in situations like this essentially and what i think about is yeah man that probably was my only ever chance to you know throw a no hitter and i'm like how does that make you feel and he was like ah, you know dang but it was like the right move. You know, he was like, I still think Dave made the right decision. You know, he made the right call for my arm. And I think that these sort of situations like pose a sort of moral, you know, dilemma to, to teams is like the teams are asking or it's, it's, it just kind of creates a weird like I don't know if it's like a moral dilemma, but it just kind of creates a weird sort of nebulous area where fans are trained to um to want to see individual greatness and teams are built towards a collective goal and like and again these are the teams who are operating good faith who are trying to win the dodgers you know happen to be one of them the orioles maybe not but like so you know the, the players on these teams are told to subsume their individual desires in order to help the general collective and that has a delayed gratification because that can't really be experienced until several months from now it puts in you know you really have to debate like what is the best thing to do right now is it the right thing for the individual is that more important than you know what the team wants and i'll say this if clayton kershaw who is clayton kershaw remember you know and i would know no one's written more (laughs) hagiographic coverage than me if clayton kershaw went to dave roberts and said dave let me finish this game Dave Roberts would have let him try and finish the game. I do believe that. See, this is a good point. And I will say that while I'm not here to to stoke fan outrage, working with about 10% of the available evidence is my uh, fort because that is, uh, I was a blogger from 2003 uh, to 2011. I love just forming half-cocked opinions. Like you guys are saying, there is a balance here. And one thing that drives me nuts about baseball is that everything is so championship focused. It is just like, you know, the goal is you win the World Series and everything builds up to that. And I think it devalues like individual moments. And I think that there should be like an appreciation for this happened. It wasn't in the service of a championship. It wasn't in the service of some long-term goal. This happened and it was cool as hell. 
And like I always when I grew up, it was like Carlton Fisk waving the ball fair. That would annoy me because it's like, why is that cool? They lost game seven the next day. That's not cool. They didn't win the World Series. And then it took me a while to be like, ah, that moment, that moment is so pure. That moment just is just for the next 12 hours, Red Sox fans could just float around thinking about that moment. And I love it now. I love thinking about moments like that now. It's just when you start getting into can we keep this guy healthy? Like that is more of an ethical consideration. You're talking about a guy's career. You got to talk about a guy's only life. Is it going to really put Clayton Kershaw at risk? Is it going to put Johan Santana at risk to get this Mets no hitter? Is it going to put Tim Lincecum at risk to make him throw 180 pitches? You know, and this no hit, I think it was 143, but like you have to kind of balance that. And when you have, so we had our producer, Brian, I'm not going to pretend like I knew this, but David Hess, was the Orioles pitcher you guys were thinking of. That was his only shot at a no-hitter, you know, unless there's like a Ryan Vogel song-like comeback. It was David Hess's one shot at glory. I don't know. That would have been pretty cool. And that wasn't necessarily in the service of a championship, of course. It was just in, in the service of let's keep this guy healthy. But that's also a valid consideration. So I don't think there's a right answer. I think you have to defer to the expertise and defer to the people who have to make decisions about a person's livelihood. But I, I just want to say, don't devalue the idea of a cool moment. Grant, I think we're both old enough to remember when those things weren't always in direct conflict. Because you know what? When a guy goes on and throws a no-hitter, that helped his team win a ball game. That might help them win a pennant. That might help them win a championship. But now we get down to pitch counts and all that. And I get why you have to factor that in. It's obviously really important, but like the underlying stuff about pitch counts is that nobody actually knows. I think for me, when I see this stuff, that's the frustrating part. Like there's research that tells you something, but you don't actually know. We've seen guys get hurt on pitch 15. Okay. Blow on pitch 15. They blow on pitch 115, 145. Who does, who has the right answer with this stuff? I don't think anybody does. I, I, I don't know. I think that's one element of the frustration here. Well, two elements, really. One is that there are so many times now where individual performance and that long-term goal are like despair. Like they do go against each other, like in this case. And that wasn't necessarily the case before. And also when it comes to pitch count specifically, there's always that part where it's like, we don't actually know what the number is. We really don't. And that's a different number for every guy on every single, like it might be different by the day, different by the situation, who knows, right? Like, I guess that's the point is that we don't ultimately in that. So teams are having to make like their best possible decision on limited information, kind of to go off of your point, Grant, right? Like the 10% information, that's what this feels like. And I think for me anyway, that's sort of the frustrating thing is that we're, you know, you're watching teams have to manage and you get why, okay? They're trying to take care of their player for the long-term goal, but it's not like it's a hundred percent that once you get to hundred pitches, something bad's going to happen, right? Like there's still a lot of ambiguity there. And I think that part's frustrating. I will say that Andy's point is probably the final word on the matter is that if Kershaw wanted to go back out there, he probably would have. And I think that that is sort of our answer. Like we only might have 10%, but that's a pretty darn good voice of reason there. If it's Clayton Kershaw saying, yeah, that's probably it because a hundred pitches always bugged me because it was a nice round number. And it always just felt like, well, you know, humans have 10 figures. So we think that the, the, you know, anything in tens is cool and in a hundred is cool and, and important. And maybe that's not always the case, but if you've got Clayton Kershaw saying, yeah, I think 85 is about what I had, you should probably listen to him. All right, we're going to segue into our second topic, which is Joe Madden 
who is just so much, he's a content machine. Uh, and it's so much fun to talk about when he does something unusual, uh, seven-dimensional backgammony. And he walked Corey Seager with the bases loaded. Uh, it was an intentional walk. He just did not want to face Corey Seager. And this gives us a chance to talk about Joe Madden. Do you guys have thoughts about Joe Madden? I want to defer to Andy because they share the same ophthalmologist, all right? Like they shop at the same glasses store. So Andy, why don't you go ahead and give us your take on your boy Joe? I have enjoyed, and I don't even think that, I doubt that he would frame it this way, glasses, get it? I have enjoyed his semi sort of heel turn uh, in in recent years, like sort of pivoting to becoming like an anti-analytics guy. And I think like on a lot of this stuff, right? Like he's saying things that people really agree with. Like there, there needs to be, you know, balls put in play more. We need to really think about the entertainment factor. You know, we need to cater more to what fans are, you know, interested in. We need to make the game more exciting. I don't think anyone really disagrees. I don't think anyone looks at the current product of Major League Baseball and is like, yeah, man, this is the best it's ever been. I do enjoy him sort of going out of his way on occasion to critique sort of analytics when – Part of the reason that he is as compensated as well as he is by the Angels is because he worked for clubs in Tampa and Chicago, which uh, utilize analytics to such an effective extent. I enjoy that. I struggle to see, just in the individual merits of the move, I struggle to see the reasoning. Uh, they did win the baseball game, but it feels like kind of a, a tough message to send to your own club. But then, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. Like, maybe maybe they just, you know, baseball players, like, they really do, the elite ones, the ones who can then succeed and stay at the big league level, they really do sort of flush failure and flush, you know, indignities and move on. And so maybe it's the sort of thing where, like, this doesn't affect, you know, Austin Warren in, in any sort of way. And, and maybe that Joe Madden, in a way, is saying, like, I believe that guy is tough enough to get past this. I could, that could be like, you, know, you want to talk about seven dimensional backgammon, right? Like do, doing that sort of move, like me saying that, but like, sometimes I wonder, I, I do feel like we at times like infantilize the players and maybe in this way, like we're doing that a little bit by suggesting that it hurts the player's confidence to such a significant extent. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I do think sometimes we should, try to treat the players like grown-ups who understand why decisions are made and not children who are offended every time someone doesn't tell them they're the greatest person who's ever lived. This makes sense to me. I agree with that, and that is a good point. I still think it was like a very distinct, Austin Warren, you kind of stink. I don't, like, it. there's like a fine line between like, listen, this guy can take it, this guy's tough, and just like a vote of no confidence. Just like you are, there was one out. That's the thing that I keep coming back to. When you're walking Barry Bonds intentionally, there were two outs and you've got the catcher coming up next, Brent Main. And so you're making a decision based on like, okay, you know, Bonds, boy, this is going to be painful. We're not worried about the big inning. That's the other thing. It was the ninth inning. You're not worried about the big inning and getting out of control. You're worried about losing that specific game in that specific moment. You're talking about the fourth inning with one out and it wasn't even Austin Warren's jackpot you know it was he came into the jackpot it was Reed Detmers who, who loaded the bases he comes in and he walked a guy and then he walked the bases loaded and now you're faced with the bases loaded one out situation with I think the, the score was three to two at that point Rangers up 
And you really are just saying you cannot get Corey Seager out. And we're not talking Barry Bonds. It is Corey Seager. And Austin Warren is, I guess this is what, his 20th game in the majors or 19th game in the majors. He's young. He's inexperienced. He's a right-hander. The platoon advantage isn't there. But it's Corey Seager, man. And if you... Corey Seager's really good. What are you talking about? He is. No, he is. But he's not a generational... Like, he's not Barry Bonds. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was facing Justin Seager... You know, <laughs> he's not he's not Josh Hamilton at the height of his powers when he was the hottest hitter in baseball or whatever. Corey Seager is like a, a real good player, a top tier player for a long time, a very well compensated player. But Austin Warren should be able to feel like, no, nah, I can get this guy. I can get this guy. I know the platoon advantage isn't there. It's a tough matchup, but, you know, here's how I can attack him. And it's just the vote of absolute no confidence that I don't like in the fourth inning with one out. They're going to be big boys and they're going to, you know, be able, okay, I understand why that decision was made. That just seems like it tips a little bit farther on the tipping point. Okay. So we've looked at it from the perspective of this is a slap in the face to the player. But what if this is also a manager who has confidence in himself to manage the relationship with said player that they can get past it? Right. And like, so for instance, we were talking about David Hess and Brandon Hyde of the Orioles earlier when, when that's different, right? Hyde is like a first year manager or like this is his first job. Madden has been at this forever. So like if there's somebody who thinks that they can pull that move and then repair that relationship or say, or do whatever it takes to make sure they're good, that's a pretty decent bet for someone who can do it. So that's how I see it. Also, it's like, it's one batter in a game. You know, I think they did give up multiple runs in that inning, but go on and win the game. So like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, like it, it's, it, it's so unusual and weird. Like I, I saw the Mike Trout video. Did you guys see that? He was standing in center field and the, the reaction and it made me miss. One, two, three, four. <laughs> you know, like it made me miss like the pitcher actually having to throw the four balls because that would have been like, that would have given more opportunity to look around the diamond to see people losing their minds over. It. And what if the kid's freaking out, right? One of those things gets away as he's trying to do the intentional walk. But anyway, like to the point about, potentially damaging a relationship or a vote of no confidence. I think this is where context kind of, you know, is a part of this. This is Joe Madden, who's done this a long time, done it really well, done it really successfully. I think that's the kind of spot where, you know, he knows what the potential consequences are there as far as the relationship where he did it anyway. And, and it, it tells me that perhaps he has the confidence to be able to repair that and move forward from it. Um, and again, he's somebody pretty good bet that he can't, right? Given his track record. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, one thing that I, I want to get to is the idea that, so after the game, I looked for his quotes and I was expecting to see, well, you know, you've got uh, Warren throws uh, down and away more often than Corey Seager's swing path. And, you know, I was expecting some sort of technical response. And it was really more just like, Hey, baby, let Joe Madden cook. Like, you know, this is just free jazz up there. That's what I'm saying. That's his, that's his thing. You know? now, now he's just like, <laughs> he used to be like, well, you know, if you look at the data, like this is why we position our fielders. And now he's like, man, it's a dance when you're out there. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, I love it. It's, it's very funny. You know what? I can appreciate it a little bit. If I were an Angels fan, I'm not sure how much I would appreciate it. It's funny as heck from, from back here. But when you've got... You know, I, I watch the Giants for 162 games out of the year. And man, that is how Gabe Kapler manages. He is not doing free jazz out there. It is just prog metal. It is, you right. know, Meshuggah. It is, you know, it's just <laughs> every note. Technical. 
highly technical metal. You know what I mean? Like every note is spoken for. And so to watch that, and it's a manager who's, you know, he's had success. He's made some questionable decisions in the past that people have, have been howling about. I remember that uh, game six of the 2016 World Series, he brought uh, Aroldis Chapman in uh, with a five-run <laughs> yeah, lead had, to he, get an he asked out. asked Chapman to get 18 outs that game. I'm trying to remember. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, so Joe, like... Joe Madden's 2016 yeah. World Series is, is a wild thing to go through, by the way. He made yes. some... I, but here's the thing. You're talking about entertainment value, right? Like, <laughs> dude, managers kind of flying by the seat of their pants, that's entertaining. Like, that, to me, is entertaining. Like, trying to figure out just what in the heck this man is trying to accomplish, like, that's a good time. And then him coming out afterwards and saying, like, yeah, you know, you got to live in the moment. Like, that's fun. <laughs> I would rather, and I, I 100% understand why teams have pivoted in the other direction. However, I do think, you know, you've noticed in recent years that some big-time established clubs, you know, the Astros with Dusty Baker, the Mets with Buck Showalter. Buck and Dusty obviously are less, like, they have a reputation for being kind of seen to their pants guys, but they're not. You know, they, they are very process-driven as well. But I think just having managers who have the gravitas and the ability to do kooky stuff is could, can maybe be an asset, but it's definitely a plus for entertainment value. Well, you know, the gravitas part is important there. I think you take the stuff that happens on the field, whether you like it or not, in exchange for the gravitas. Because I think those are two great examples, actually. Dusty Baker, Buck Showalter, given the, the context in which they walked into their current jobs, not many people walking in there having the success that those guys had. And it is not an accident, right? Like Dusty Baker is one of these people that gets all this crap, right? Like I, he's had this quote where no one's ever called him smart. He's smart. Clearly, he's smart. Clearly, he's one of the best managers in the entire freaking sport. Don't tell me about the bullpen decisions. With managers, it's almost like it's become the second sport to just like pick on every single decision. When the reality is, you know, unless they're on the extremes, they're not, you know what I mean? Like, it's still going to be decided by the players. Like, okay, Buckshaw Walter not going to Zach Britton in Toronto is horrible, and he should be ripped for that, right? Well, like to me, that's almost a standard now. Like, unless you're, it's like complete and total malpractice, whatever happens on the field, I will trade that for gravitas. And you know what? We'll put Madden in that category as well. Those people that like come into a situation and all of a sudden the team just looks more professional. That's what I've seen with the Mets of late, speaking of Buck Showalter. Like, they just look and act more professional. I don't think that's a coincidence because every time Bucks walked into a situation, guess what? Same thing has happened. Okay. So, whatever, like the on field moves and sort of like this jazz or whatever you want to call it, fine. I will trade that for what they're bringing in as far as just straight up leadership goes, because I think we're seeing how much that matters. One thing with Dusty Baker is that a lot of the criticisms with him, it just seems like they're so rooted in the past. Like, I can go through Mark Pryor's 2003 game logs and pick games out that, okay, maybe he shouldn't have thrown that many pitches. Like, I get it. But I, I've watched a lot of Dusty Baker, and I've seen him evolve. He is, he brings that gravitas now, and, and but he's also... 
he's a much better tactician than I think he used to be. And he wasn't like a, you know, a silly tactician back in the day. He'd do things that would, would drive me nuts. But at the same time, I just think he's become, he's like married what he brings in the personality and, and the fires that he lights. And he's kind of like accepted and embraced a little bit of this modern baseball and, and the numbers and stuff like that, that the Astros wouldn't have messed with him otherwise. The word is intelligence. He's intelligent. Yeah, he he yeah, and he and Bart both are are very very bright individuals, obviously, and 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 like I said, like they have evolved over the course of you know the I mean, geez, Buck's been they both managed since the nineties, you know, like um, which was actually the last time Craig was at a ballpark, oddly enough, um, but <laughs> you know, so that's a long time, right? Oh, that's it just, Dude, just you, you pulled that, that you, you pulled the shirt you're wearing right now from like nineteen ninety four. You're talking about me being at the ballpark. I hadn't been to the ballpark since the '90s. Get out of here. I'll see you tomorrow. By the way, just that's just high. Why? Why am I going I to? Am French. I going to Central New Jersey? Did I get lost or something? It's Northern New Jersey, number one. But number two, I, I will see you at City Field tomorrow. So enough with this. The streak will be over right. tomorrow. Old Timers okay? Day is in August. He texted me that Grant. I told him I was going to be at the park on Wednesday. He goes, "Is it Old Timers Day?" <laughs> and, and it didn't hit me for like an hour and a half. And I went, "Hey." What the f- anyway? Uh, yeah, people want to know if this is an act. No, no, no. This is just how they, they live their life every day. All right, we're gonna move on to unwritten rules uh, because oh, there yay. was a there was a kerfuffle. There was a kerfuffle in the the Padres Giants game where you had first off you had Stephen Duggar stealing second base with a seven run lead. I think we can all agree that that is a dumb unwritten rule. But then we have like Gabe Kapler just basically admitting that the unwritten rules don't necessarily apply in modern baseball where you have Mauricio Dubon bunting for a hit. He's up by double digits. And Gabe Kapler, after he comes back to the dugout, it looked like the cameras caught him saying, hey, buddy, that's not what we do. This is the majors. Come on, clean it up. And after the game, uh, Kapler clarified. He said, no, no, no. I was like congratulating him. Like, good. Keep the foot on the (laughs) gas. We want to tire out their pitchers. We want to win this series. We want to make them tired. We want to send them to hell. And like... It's a different look in the unwritten rules. Are they threatened? Do you like unwritten rules? What about bunting with a huge lead? I open it up to the round table. Outside of like Mike Schilt being a, like a little too like sort of overbearing and, uh, you know, condescending to Antoine Richardson and his comments, right? Like did anyone on the Padres really like misbehave in reaction to this? Like no one got hit, right? No one got hit. It was uh, – they no had a, a very long – No one got spiked. There was no fights. They had a very long camera shot of like Matt Williams grumbling and everyone just on the top step on the railing, kind of growling and shouting a few things here and there. That was the okay. Right, oh, so go. the Padres were mad. They were getting their heads kicked in. There you go. That's, I mean, that's it. That's like, fine. This, this, yeah, that's let him, it. Let them be right. upset. Who cares? They should be. They should be pissed. They got, they're getting their ass kicked. They're getting drilled and the other team's still playing hard. Yeah, you're allowed to be upset. One thing that I have never liked, that I that I've really like really actively disliked is, you know, there's been this whole like pro bat flip, pro emotion, pro all this stuff, uh, you know, like let the kids play, like we play loud, all this, you know, just league mandated stuff that we have to embrace this, which like totally fine. However, so what you're saying is you're allowed to bat flip, but I'm not allowed to get mad at you bat flipping. Like Max Muncy is allowed to pimp a home run and Madison Bumgarner is not allowed to tell him to run the bases faster. 
Like we are sort of regulating the types of emotions that are allowed to be expressed. Now, if you throw a baseball at someone's head in retaliation, it's like, all right, that's, you know, yeah, I'm, I generally lean towards let the players police stuff. But like, I would say if all that, if the only negative reaction is the team just yelling at the other team, whatever, man, they're playing professional sports. Let them get angry. Who cares? Dude, I, I mean, could not be with you more on that. Dude, they're pissed. They're pissed. They should be. Okay? And you know what? Like, we're talking about entertaining or entertainment earlier. You know what I want after what the Giants did and said after the game? I want the Padres to boat race and, and steal bags all game long the next time they play. That's what I want. I want Will Myers to freaking try to steal home. All right? When they're up 11 runs in the fourth inning. Like, why not? They're supposed to be mad. It's fine. The Giants did what they're supposed to do. Hey, man, we're just playing the game. Padres didn't like it. They said it. So what? Like, it doesn't have to be another discourse about unwritten. This is as simple as dudes don't like getting their ass kicked. Nor should they. Okay? They're professional athletes. So, like, whatever. So, like, I'm going to tune in. Hopefully the Padres have the shoe on the other foot next time. And they're the ones drag bunning with a double digit. Go for it. Go for it. It's entertainment. You know? The discourse here reminds me of the idea of, you know, I, I thought this was America. I, I thought this was free speech, right? You know, where you say something and you get criticism for it. And it's like, no, 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 you're, you're, you know, if you come at me and you attack me for this opinion, then you're, you know, you're suppressing my speech. It's like, no, we still get to call you an asshole. Like we still get to say that was stupid. I have an opinion. It's when it crosses over into laws and when it, you know, structural ways to prevent people from, from talking. And I think in baseball, it's the same way where once it tips over into baseballs at the head or baseballs at the ass, even like that has reached a tipping point to where it's not just criticism. It's not just getting mad. It's not just fire. And, and, you know, gosh, what are you doing? That's just such a bad look to bunt for a, a hit there. It's throwing a baseball and, you know, I know that there's like the code, the unwritten rules within the unwritten rules. Like you're supposed to hit him in the butt. Or you're supposed to hit him in a soft tissue place. You're not supposed to go at the head. But man, pitchers aren't that perfect. And so it's when it tips over into the punishment phase, the spiking, the things like that. That's what's got to die. And I want to say that now with baseball, every player is an asset, uh, you know, to, in the eyes of the owners and the front offices. And I think that that is going to die a little bit. I don't think you're going to have the the high spikes going in a second. I think it's going to be more just Matt Williams on the, the railing of the dugout, just giving him what for. Yeah, and I think that stuff already has, if it's not dead, it's on the respirator, I would say. You know, that sort of style of baseball, you know. But, that, but like, I, I just feel like, like, like you were saying, Grant, if you want to promote emotion in the sport, one of the emotions that professional athletes experience is anger. They get angry <laughs> when they're getting their asses kicked. And sometimes that looks like coaches grumbling. It looks like Bob Melvin doing the like, you know, waving his hands like, what the heck is that, man? Because he's angry. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like the Padres are being such babies. And it's like, well, not really. Like if it'd be one thing if if Bo Mel is like ordering you know every giant gets drilled right but he's just like waving his hands at the other dugout it's like they're humans they're like we're we're trying to we're asking we're telling these guys show us who you are show your emotions you know like be yourself be free but only in like a positive fashion you can never channel and you can never show any sort of negative energy 
like in in situations like this and it's just like come on man we're all adults watching this for the most part like at least discoursing about this online we're grown-ups we understand that anger is part of this it's like do you remember like playing sports in high school like when my football team lost i was very angry i was not like man what a great effort by the other club like man they just played so hard and i just really respect them it's like man like this sucks like we just got crushed Anyway. Were you guys good? No, we went 0-11 my senior year. Really? Because there's a picture of you looking like you're tap dancing with two of your teammates. You don't look like you were 0-11 and, 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 you know, getting mad about playing football and, and getting beat. Like, I mean, does that look like somebody who is having a terrible time? <laughs> How did you find that I mean, so I can't quickly? tell what you guys... That's like, horrifying. I don't know. Like, Why do you have that on your phone? a Broadway play about football or, like... Look how God, happy now I know what him. the clip of this show is going to be. Him. This is really embarrassing. Oh, my God. Right, Look how him. happy he is. Look at the happy getting their asses. Oh, an 11. Anyway, like, look, I, I, I find this amusing. I got I got to just take the L on that one. There's nothing to be said. The yeah, unwritten the rules of dancing when you're 0-11. Yeah, Look man, at him. That Look was, that uh, offensive line. Yeah, I wonder why they're 0-11. Look, man, like, yeah, I see sports writers do this. Like, somebody, somebody, a player will throw someone under the bus. Right. Like have a quote where it's like they're they're blaming somebody else. And it's like, oh, man, that's just that's really belittling. Oh, that's just really, ugh, you know, not real professional. It's like he said something interesting and shared what he felt like you should be thanking the Lord above that like they were being honest with. Thank us. you. And so that's what happens with with the same thing with this. When, when a team gets their ass kicked and they're grumbling the dog, what do you want them to do? Huh? Dance around like this? Like Andy's offensive line in high school, it looked like they're doing the can-can dance after going 0-freaking-11. That was before That's we went 0-11. We still thought we could go 4-7. Oh, we thought we could go 4-7. Oh. We thought we had a chance okay. to maybe win you four know? games. Perhaps, yeah, I'm not a, yeah, I'm not a football guy. Maybe if they blocked a little bit more rather than do the choreography <laughs> here, they wouldn't be 0-11. I feel like, like Meldrick Taylor fighting Julio Cesar Chavez. Like, I was crushing Correg <laughs> for 11 rounds, and he just, he just <laughs> knocked me out late. All it takes is one punch, yeah. man. One punch, All it takes. Holy smokes. One thing that I don't have any patience for is after the Padres got mad, there was this tendency to go, oh, you're mad. Hmm, curious. Weren't you the team that had Fernando Tatis swing on a 3-0 pitch with a big lead and the bases loaded? Hmm, curious. Like, it's a gotcha. Like, I have no patience for that. It's like, yeah, back then we weren't pissed off. Here we were. That's all it takes. You don't have to, like, there's no, it's not this rigorous code of ethics. It's like back there, it was fun. Right? This sucks. This isn't fun. One thing we always need to demand from our our, our uh, baseball teams is coherent ideology. <laughs> yeah. like, it's sports, man. Like, they're playing sports. They're reacting to what's oh. happening. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. R- rigorous, dogmatic you know, like guys, like the ethics of that is we actually have to accept that they're kicking our asses and are doing it in a way that like we should probably defend against. I I, I will say it, the Giants' strategy of basically like yeah we're gonna try and score as many runs as possible. Like I I like that and I think that teams should adopt it. I don't feel like either club did anything wrong. I do think like the Giants potentially saying this is a market inefficiency and like having meetings before the season where you know Kapler and uh, his 25 coaches were like hey so just so everyone's on board like including you know the grumps like we are never going to stop playing essentially like I like that I think that that's how teams should be trying to play 
all three of us now have used the word infantilizing. And I think that it's it's infantilizing to just stop trying against a team that's that's still trying. They're still trying to score runs. And if you're going to pat them on the head, go, oh, that's OK, we'll stop trying. Like, I think that's more insulting than actually like, no, let's just say uh, you're playing back. Well, let me beat that with the bun. You know, I, I don't know. I just think so. We are going to end here on some unwritten rules of the podcast. And we are going to talk about what some of those unwritten rules might be. Andy, you had one. I don't know. Craig, did you have a chance to think about what an unwritten rule of this podcast might be? I guess you shouldn't bring up people's high school football careers in it like that. Brutal. But I kind of violated that. So my bad, Andy. I didn't mean to do that. But um, Yeah, if you ever get video of me like rushing for 250 yards at State, yeah, I don't <laughs> Just don't even go looking yeah. for it, man. It's so hard to find, but it did yeah. happen. No. Grant is the proverbial guy who threw that football over the mountains. I was in West Side Story when I was a junior, and Jeff Brantley watched me. He His babysitter was in the play. His babysitter uh, was Anita. And so after the after the program, after the, the, the play, he asked, he said, who is that guy who played action? And he's talking about me because I killed it. That's my football game. That's my uh, throwing the football over the mountain. All right. I, I blocked a punt in a JV game one time. That was that was the highlight of I think of my athletic career. I did. It was really impressive. That sounds like fun. It was great. Blocking a punt. Sounds it was like great. Fun. Actually, so I'll I'll tell the story just because I I want to make clear how how this was like the coolest thing I've ever done. I oh, was yeah. junior year. I was starting varsity on uh, the offensive line, uh, but I didn't play defense. And um, we had too many injuries to our JV team. So they needed me to play the JV game on Monday. So varsity would play Fridays. JV would play Monday. The coaches were like, hey, go play the JV game on Monday. And I was like, this is stupid. Like, I want to, I need to go watch film. Like, we lost again on Friday. Like, I'd really rather watch film than play JV. I wasn't like particularly good, but this JV team, I think, I think it was Soderton, they were terrible. And I was in the backfield. Literally every play. Like, I was sacking the quarterback before he was handing off the ball. Like, they were so bad. I was, like, an incredible disruptive force. I was like Warren Sapp, you know, at Miami. And I'm like, every time I would come off the field, I was begging the JV coach. I was like, his name was Coach D, Greg Dummeldinger. I was like, D, let me out of here. Like, this is a waste of time. Like, I'm not, like, just, let just, I want out of here. This is, like, the second quarter. And he was like, McCullough, if you block a punt on the next series, I'll let you leave. And so, next series comes around. I went through. I blocked the punt. I took off my helmet, and I strutted off the field into, <laughs> so, down the steps from the from the stadium into, you know, the, the locker room, drop my stuff, go upstairs to watch film. They're in the fourth quarter of watching our film from, you know, the Friday night game. Like, how's it going? They're like, you played like shit on Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was the, so highs and lows. Um, So that, that, there's gotta be an unwritten rule about that, about like just straight up, like helmet off to the tunnel. I don't think Ed was was coach happy about, but that's not your coach. Coach D had no D didn't care. D no was D. I you know I fulfilled my obligations to you know to D and to the rest of the JV guys, and I got up to varsity, and they were like, "You played your worst game of the season," and I was like, "Okay, well." I was like, "Man, you should have seen what was going on down there." Like, we don't care. We've been watching you miss blocks for forty five minutes. <laughs> My unwritten rule of this podcast is we will never discuss pitch design. 
I do not care what pitches look like at all. Seam shifted wake, no? Don't care. Don't tell me about splinkers. Don't tell me about, you know, shoot toes. Don't touch I don't care. I don't care at all. Tell me if Gyro Ball. Who? Gyro Ball. Just don't. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about rookie relievers. I don't want to talk about the whirly. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. Fastball down and away. That's what gets people out. Grant, if, if he blocks a punt before the end of this baseball season, then you guys can stop talking about the whirly steam shifted wake or any of this other horse shit that he just mentioned. That's a hundred percent true story, by the way. Here's the thing though. Like I am going to like, there's going to be topics where I don't know my, my butt from a hole in the ground and I'm going to have to punt my opinion. And he's probably going to say at one point, like, no, 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 you got to give an opinion on this, which is technically like blocking a punt. So I think he'll do that because I am a weasel and I will get out of giving opinions whenever I don't have anything good to say. So he'll block a punt. No block upon. All right. Uh, my unwritten rule is that I get to talk about my fantasy team. Don't care. You know, I'm on the podcast. They pay me to talk. And sometimes I'll hear a guy and go like, yeah, yeah, that's good for me. When Joey Bart steals bases, that is awesome for me, pal. Wait, wait, you got Bart? You got team. Bart on your fantasy team? I do too. I do, yeah. I do too. I yeah. got him too. Yeah, did you love that steal? Like he had yeah, a steal so the other day. Cool. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like I think he'll get like five steals this year. Like I think he's sneaky fast in that way, and people aren't kind of paying attention to him. So uh, Joey Bart, man, I think I think he's got some steals in him. Don't you both have children? Like... <laughs> what? No, who else you got on your team? Ignore this. No, no, no. Guy. I'm what, genuinely what curious. Your... How do you have the mental space to manage a, a fantasy baseball team? Isn't it like a daily thing? No, I do weekly. Daily, I try daily. I don't have the capacity for that. But weekly, I just, in some weeks, I'll forget. Like, I, I am, you know, an old man, and I'll forget. It's not that heavy of a lift. And to, to answer Craig's uh, question, like every Dodger, I have Kershaw, Trey <laughs> Turner, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Blake Trinan. Uh, tr- like, I, I'm forgetting all the Dodgers that I have to the point where it was a bit during the draft. But if you're going to go heavy on a team, you could do That's worse. That's the team. Yeah. I got Gavin Lux from there. But like... Oh, I have Lux too. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, so I hadn't played a lot. And then like, I got in it with a couple of people. But Lemire's in it. All right. Like, so that's one of the guys that, that we know. And like his brother's in it. And like, you know what? It helped me stay more engaged like a little bit. Like it was fun again to just to like see what was going on in the league from that context. And like, it, it was, I don't know. It was like viewing the game through a different lens. It, it ended up being a lot of fun. So it's been like three or four years now. And I hadn't played fantasy baseball in years and years and years before that. So no, I think it's been fun. And it's a cool way to kind of keep a pulse on what's going on. Like when you're on a beat, you're covering one team, which I did for so long. Like it's really easy to just get lost in what's right in front of you. And so playing fantasy baseball is like a way to break out of that. I'm glad I did. It doesn't take that much time. Like if you're paying like attention, I end up watching a lot of baseball games when the kids go to bed at night. So um, no, it's been fun. I've been in the same league since I think 1997, maybe 1998 with all the same guys. Uh, well, a guy who is in the league now, now his son is is a grown ass man and in the league. And it's been fun to, to, to follow like that. So that's my unwritten rule. I don't care. I will talk about it. I'll bring it up. And and Andy will at some point get mad at maybe DM me on the side and say, uh, I'll cut that, 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 that business out. Uh, or he might just, you know, say a, uh, a witty barb. Uh, in the moment. <laughs> I think it fills airtime. It's good. Bond. I think anything that can get us to 45 minutes is a victory. 
We got there. All right, this has been episode three of The Roundtable. I want to thank Mark Carrig for being our guest, and we will be back next week. So go ahead and go read Sam Blum on the Joe Madden stuff. Go read Andy Baggerly on the Unwritten Rules stuff. And what do we talk about? Uh, Kershaw. All right, I guess, guess read Fabian on, on the Kershaw stuff. I wrote about Kershaw. Um, we, I'm like did? the lead hagiographer for him. I know. How dare you? (laughs) Uh, All right. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening.